We don't know what 2023 is going to look like, do we? Uh, the world is hoping that things will get better. Maybe this year, you know, we'll be on the up. Maybe financially this country will be better off and maybe everything will be kind of sorted out. But actually the reality is it's probably going to get worse. But that doesn't mean to say, just what the Lord has been speaking about in our midst this morning, that doesn't mean to say that your life can't be more full of love, of love, of light, of God's faithfulness, God's goodness. Many people in this congregation have had a really tough time the last year, maybe the last three years or so. But God has been faithful to you, hasn't he? He's helped you through. He will see you through. Even when it comes to death, Jesus said, as we looked at last time, to those who are victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. From those who are victorious, I will, da-da-da-da-da, in the other seven, six books of the Revelation, he promises to give us blessings eternally, forevermore. This, is, this life is just the beginning, isn't it? And we're going through a series of looking at identity, gender and sexuality. Now don't let that title put you off and think, well, not again, because we're discovering so much of God's word as we go along this journey. It's not just about that. The Bible is so much more, isn't it? God's word is alive and active and it will speak to you, each one of us today. So last time we looked at Jesus saying to those who are victorious and we said... What does it mean to be victorious? A victorious Christian. Well, to be victorious means you've conquered something. You've overcome something. You've been challenged by something and you have won. So what does Jesus mean when he says Christians should be victorious? It means when your love and your loyalty for Jesus is challenged and you find it really difficult... If you are still loving him, when you come out the other side a year later, 30 years later, 40 years later, that's victory. If you are still loving Jesus, when your love for him has been challenged and you haven't given up, you haven't let go, you're still clinging on to him, even if it's by a tiny thread, you're trusting him because he is good and he's saved you. That is victory. And if you don't feel victorious right now because of your circumstances, that's probably a good sign that you are one of the victorious ones because you're still clinging to Jesus despite what you're going through and what's happening. And who has it, or who was it, that was present from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden that began, who began to challenge people's love and loyalty for God? It was Satan, wasn't it? We read that in Genesis. Okay. And we see from Scripture that the devil, or Satan, is a vicious spirit with a ferocious hunger to steal, kill, and destroy, with a massive, devious, cruel, deceptive, and invisible army of evil spirits or demons that are able to inflict mankind spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Is that right? Sadly, it's true, isn't it? There's an evil presence that does all those things to humankind. And my suggestion last time was as well as many other tactics that the devil uses to challenge and steer people away from their love and devotion to God. He is cruel enough and able enough to wreak havoc 
with people's identity, with their sexuality and their gender too. He can do that. For example, if I'm someone who experiences same-sex attraction, I'm not like it because God has made me that way. I'm like it because the whole world is broken. Because of what the enemy has done. What we have done with the enemy. We're all broken. None of us have got it right. Now some people might be asking, in his love for the world, because we know God loves the world, in his love for the world, does God see how messed up we are and so changes his opinion about what he's already said in the scriptures to accommodate our struggles? Does God see our struggles and think, oh, I better change my mind because they're struggling? No. Or, in his love, does God remain the same, always? And instead of changing his mind, he pours out his grace upon those who choose to be devoted and loyal and loving to him. To help them work through their challenges so that they can be victorious. Does God do that? Does he change his mind? Or does he just pour out his grace? on those that want his grace, want to be victorious. Well, last time we looked at numerous scriptures that basically says God does not change. He never changes. What he's already said in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, he's still saying today. But what we know has changed because Jesus came. Because of Jesus' birth, which we just celebrated at Christmas time, and because of his death, his sacrificial death at Easter, and his resurrection, and then his ascending back to heaven. Because of that, because of what Jesus did, what we know has changed is God's ability to draw near to a sinner. To draw near to someone who is struggling. And not only draw near, but give them a new birth and give his spirit to them. So that his spirit now lives in this person. And what happens is, from that day on, there is this amazing relationship that begins to grow between God and the person. And with every step that they yield to what he's doing and transforming in their life. That's what's changed. And it then begins to dawn on a Christian how they weren't just created by God, they were created for God. This life isn't the main attraction. Your career, your family, doing well, isn't the main thing. What is the main thing? God. God and your relationship is the main thing. This, this life, he's the main event. He is your future. He's not just your present. God and your relationship with him is your future. And so this life is about how you behave towards him. This life is just the beginning. This is preparation for the main thing, which is one day, which we've been talking about, the curtains will be fully open. You will see. You will be known, it says, just as you are fully known now. You see in part, but one day you will see and realise fully. It's all about him. My life on this earth, it's all preparation for the main event for him. Let's go a bit further on our journey this morning. Turn to Genesis 
Genesis chapter 2. Get your Bibles. Are your phones or your Kindles? Uh, your, your dad's Bible? Young people, you're doing so well. Whenever you feel like it, come up the front and grab a chocolate bar. Okay. Now, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. <laughs> the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work at it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Wouldn't it be lovely if we just knew good and not evil? For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now let's skip forward to where Satan was hanging around the one forbidden tree, waiting for his first ever gullible customer. And who better to try out his sales pitch on than someone who loves window shopping? A woman. Yes. Okay. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now we know from Scripture that this particular serpent or snake was the devil himself in the guise of a snake. It doesn't mean to say every snake you see is the devil, okay? but this particular snake was the devil himself in the guise of a snake. Now, you might, that might seem far-fetched to you. What? A talking snake? Devil appeared as a snake. But, ask yourself, remember the day when another spirit took on the form of an animal? Can you remember that in Scripture? when another spirit took on the form of an animal? We'll get to the donkey in a minute. Pigs? No. Dove. Yes. Do you remember when Jesus was baptised, John the Baptist saw the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus, it says, in the form, the bodily form of a dove. Okay? So the Holy Spirit can take on the form of an animal, a dove. So it's not so weird that Satan first appears in the form of an animal. Okay? Not to scare Eve or Adam and Eve too much, but he came as a snake. And we mentioned donkey. Also, there's somewhere else in the Bible where God enabled an animal to speak, which was Balaam's donkey. Yeah, an actual donkey, a real live donkey, spoke English or whatever language the... Uh, Yes, okay. All right. So, it's not so weird, is it? It's not that impossible that the snake, actually, that Satan would be behind the words of the snake here. Okay, and later on in Revelation, we see that the devil will make a statue speak, don't we? In Revelation, we see that a statue speaks. So, the devil, the devil is a fallen angel who still has some power to affect and influence the natural realm. Some, not all, but some. Okay, now, just a quick test.
can, can you remember, or do you know, the three OMs, OM, that describe God's all-powerfulness? Omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. What else? Omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, all-potent. And the last one? Omniscient. Science means knowledge, by the way. So he is all-knowing. All so God is omnipresent, everywhere. He's omniscient, all-knowing. And he's omnipotent, all-powerful. The devil is none of those. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere. Okay? However... He does have enough power and ability to mess around with the natural realm and people's lives. We know that from Scripture. To challenge people's devotion to God. To challenge their trust of God. Okay, let's carry on reading our Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He said to the woman, okay, the snake, Satan behind the snake, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, from your recollection, is that what God said? No. no. Can you hear how Satan is already putting a negative sliver, a negative spin on God's single and simple instruction? When you hear God's instruction directly from God, we hear the positive of being able to eat from everything except one. It's a bit like Mickey Mouse meeting you when you go to... Where's, where does Mickey Mouse live? Disneyland, yeah? Just imagine if you go to Disney World and Mickey Mouse greets you at the entrance and says, says good news, you can go on every ride in the park except the Haunted House of Horrors. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah? But the way Satan tells it, it's like Goofy turns up at the entrance to greet you and says, Mickey Mouse says the park is closed. Can you see the difference? God says you can eat from everything apart from one. Satan says, did God say you can't eat from any tree? And what would you do if Goofy turned up and said, Mickey Mouse says the park is closed? You'd go, oh, stupid Mickey, wouldn't you? Mean Mickey. Well, how often does Satan do something or say something in our lives or in the world and we turn around and go, oh, stupid God? How many Christians and non-Christians are angry at God right now? Because of something the devil has said or done or twisted God's words or God's actions into a negative. Have you ever experienced that? Frustration, anger at God when it probably wasn't God in the first place. That's what the devil does. He tricks you into being angry and frustrated and, and offended. Do you remember what happened when people were offended at Jesus? He could do no mighty miracles there. Okay. He said to the woman, Satan said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Good on you, Eve. But God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. 
or you will die. Can you hear Chinese whispers creeping a little bit here? Eve rightly corrects the devil's negative skewed paraphrase of God's original instruction back to its positive simplicity. No, God didn't say that. God said this. But then she adds something that we didn't hear God say in the beginning. What did she add? Touch it. God said, actually what we find out when we go back is that Eve was not yet created. When God said to Adam, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from that one tree or you'll die. Eve actually wasn't created yet. So either Adam has added this bit, extra bit, you must not touch it, or Eve herself has added that extra bit. Okay. Did you hear about the apparently true story of World War I? A lieutenant in charge of one of the British line in, this, in the war told the private in front to pass the word along to another lieutenant. Now the message, the word was, we are going to advance, can you send us reinforcements? But apparently, further down the line, this message got, it ended up being, we are going to advance, can you lend us three and fourpence? <laughs> apparently that's a true story of how a message gets changed further along the line it goes. Now, how easy is it for the original meaning of something to get lost in translation the further along the line it goes? How important is it for every individual Christian to read the Bible for themselves? To understand for themselves what exactly is it that God has said? Because if you just rely on books and other people's opinions and what other people say, who knows what it ends up being. Once a Christian has a good grasp of what God has actually said, exactly what he said, they will be in a much better disposition to discern what God is currently saying and recognise the devil's lies and half-truths too. I read this phrase, turn to 1 Corinthians 4, 6. I read this phrase in the Bible the other day that jumped out at me. Do you ever have that? You've read lots of scriptures before, but all of a sudden this one bit jumps out at you and makes more sense for that day or for that season, as if God himself has kind of opened the page for for you and has highlighted it to you. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, that I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what it is written. Don't go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what God has already said. Now, Eve has already gone a little bit beyond what God has said by adding that bit about don't touch either and John warns us in Revelation and God warns in Deuteronomy don't add anything to what I've said don't add or subtract just leave it there and do what I said is the devil about to encourage Eve to go beyond what God has said heck yeah he's just about to say no don't, don't listen to God you know, eat from it. You'll be like God. You'll, it'll be good. 
He's just about to tempt her to go beyond what God has said. Okay? The devil seems to have a knack of suggesting a better alternative or a new and improved addition to what God has said. And then he presents it in such a way that makes it sound good and godly. Now, you may remember, just before I preached my last sermon, that the Archbishop of Oxford had just openly challenged the Church of England to catch up with the times, to change um, their, 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 kind of their understanding and their, their practice of marriage to include gay marriage in the Church of England, which the Church of Wales and the Church of Scotland has already done. They've already changed their practices. Um, and the, the uh, Bishop of Oxford is encouraging the Church of England to do the same. And his argument is because God is love. And if God is love, then of course he would encourage loving relationships, whether they're same-sex or, uh, or not. And that the Church of England should embrace this sort of happening because God is love. Now, is it true that God is love? Yes, the Bible says that several times. Okay, so when Bishop of, Bishop of Oxford gets this strong idea that because God is love, he would surely embrace the idea of a loving relationship within a same-sex marriage, does the fact that the bishop's understanding that is founded on scriptural truth that God is love make the rest of his reasoning sound godly? If you base it on scripture, a scripture, does the rest of it sound godly? Well, yeah. There will be many Christians, because it contains scriptural truth, there will be many Christians who agree and say, yep, that sounds like God. Because God is love, of course God would be loving and include all loving relationships, because God is love. But even though the bishop's reasoning sounds godly because it contains some truth, is the sentence or the suggestion in which he is placing that truth about God and in the context that it's been said, is it actually leading us to go beyond what is written? Yeah. The same God who it is written about is love is also the same God who talks about subjects of same-sex marriage and things like that as an abomination. So he's written somewhere else, do not do this. And yet he also is God who is love. And so the bishop says, well, if he's love, he would do this. But then are we going beyond other scriptures? It's, so it seems that the bishop's use of one scripture is actually contradicting other scriptures. And what he's suggesting goes way beyond what it is written. Surely the devil wouldn't stoop so low as to use a scripture to get people to do something that's ungodly, would he? Could he? When did he do that? In the temptation of Jesus. He actually tried it on Jesus, did he? Okay, turn to Matthew 4. Now, there are some subjects that the devil does not have a leg to stand on, and yet he will try and try and try, and often people just give in. The Church of Wales, Church of Scotland gave in. Years ago, they said, no. But if you keep pushing it, the devil keeps on tempting you and suggesting to you, wondering, oh, okay. 
Yeah, you're probably right. Okay, Matthew 4, verse 1. Kids, should I, th I throw chocolate to you? Is that, or pass it to you? That'd be, that would be more... You're doing so well. Have you had one yet? How you doing? There you go. Do you like one? Okay. Grab, grab two more and pass them down. That's it. All right, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay. Is there just one? Just one in there. I've got some more. Hang on. Thank you. Okay. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, that's another name for the devil, the tempter. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Notice how Jesus says, it is written, instead of, it was written. Why is that? He doesn't change, and because God's word is alive and active. God's word was written, but it's still written. It is written, because it's alive, okay? God, God's word is, and not was. Jesus answered, it is written, verse 4. Man shall, live on bread, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand to the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Here's, the, here's Satan using scripture. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is also written. When you are sick and the devil whispers to you, what scripture might the devil whisper to you when you're sick? Has the devil ever said, do you remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? When you're sick, God wants you sick too. He doesn't want to heal you, even if you ask more than three times. What can you say when the devil quotes Paul's thorn in the flesh to you when you're sick? It is also written. What would you say? Jesus reached out to the man who was, had leprosy and he said, I am willing. Be cleansed. It is also written, devil. Or it is also written by his stripes, I was healed. Or he is the Lord who heals me, Exodus 15. Or Psalm 103, he forgives all my iniquities and he heals all my diseases. It is also written, devil. Or how about this example? If the devil quotes to you 1 John 3, 8, which says, he who sins is of the devil, and tells you that you're so sinful, there's no help for you. He might forgive other people, but you're so bad, God won't forgive you. What can you say? It is also written... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, or? Yeah, 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Or, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You can say it's also written. When the Bishop of Oxford hears, God is love. So therefore the church should change with the times and celebrate and bless these things that uh, we've been talking about. What should the Bishop of Oxford also be thinking? What is it also written? 
I know God is love, but before I make this rash statement, this 52-page letter, it is also written what? Am I going beyond scripture here? You may have heard other Christians say, we need to be like the Bereans. You ever heard Sid say that? We need to be like the Bereans. Now the Bereans aren't a weird sect of people who like to wear their French hats on the side, the Bereans. (laughs) Turn to Acts 17. We'll find out who the Bereans are. Acts 17. Where's my extra bit of chocolate? Acts 17, verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's why we need to be like the Bereans, because we need to examine the scriptures every day to see and check what we're hearing, what we're thinking, what we're reading, what we're seeing. Is it true? Is God in this? Is this what God said? Okay, that's why we should be like the Bereans. Don't take anyone's word for it. Test it by the scriptures yourself. Do you know what it is also written? Do you examine the scriptures every day to see what you are hearing and thinking is true? No matter who it comes from, even if an angel appears to you in a dream and tells you something, is it true according to the other scriptures? Check it out. Because if it's not, it's probably not God. Now, when I read the scripture, do not go beyond what is written, I was journaling that morning and I wrote down this, what I felt the Lord was saying to me. What I have written, I have written and I have written for a reason. For those who constantly meditate on my words, that in itself produces so much clarity and understanding. I have already made so much clear in my word. Sadly, so many rely on other people's opinions and interpretations. If only they read all of my word all of the time for themselves. All of his word, all of the time. Now, dipping in and out of the Bible verse here, a verse there, and daily devotionals are very helpful. But the most valuable way of reading the Bible is reading it start to finish over and over. All of the Bible, all of the time. Maybe read the Old Testament through once and then do the New Testament a couple of times before going back to the Old Testament, if that helps. But you get the big picture. You get a fuller understanding. God speaks to you on a daily basis when you read from start to finish constantly. Okay. Remember what Jesus' first scriptural response was to the devil's attempt to pervert Jesus' devotion to his Father's will? Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you want the whole picture, read every word the whole of the Bible, from start to finish, constantly. All of his word, all of the time. If your body needs food every day, your spirit does too. It's spiritual food, his word. Now, I'm going to close by reading something that Jude wrote for me. Jude discovered this blessing 
of not just dipping in and out of the Bible, but reading from start to finish again and again. And we notice the difference in Jude. Maynard uh, testified to that. We noticed the difference in Jude when she started doing that. And here's what she said. For as long as I remember, I have enjoyed hearing stories from the Bible, from either my parents, Sunday school teachers, or speakers at church. Although I knew many of the stories in the Bible, I had never read the whole Bible myself. You can read books about the Bible and see films based on the Bible, but nothing really brings you closer to us, closer than to study the Word of God. This is where I struggled. From about the age of 10, I stopped enjoying reading. I found it hard to concentrate, and words would fly all over the page, which meant I read sentences several times before the content sank in. It was too much effort. It was December 2019, after a conversation with Andy Watson, that I took on the challenge to read the Bible from start to finish. Remember Andy challenging us one new year? Maybe read seven chapters a day and you'll read the Bible in, is it six months or something? Um, Andy said, if I were able to read seven chapters a day, I would have completed reading the Bible within six months. So I picked up a Bible and started to read. I'll be honest, it took a while to find a version that I could really understand. Genesis and Exodus were full of familiar stories that I grew up hearing about and watched countless films on. When I got to Leviticus, the style was quite hard going, but I pushed through. And I'm so pleased I did. There are some wonderful stories in the Old Testament. Reaching the New Testament was exciting. It was so refreshing to read about Jesus after hearing all the prophecies foretold about his coming. Once I finished each book of the Bible, I found it useful to watch an overview of the book explained by the Bible Project, which you can find online. That's the one where someone is drawing, you can watch them drawing it as they go along. Three years down the line, I have read the Bible through several times using many different versions. I have just completed reading it over a year in chronological order. Whether you want to read seven chapters a day or read the Bible over a year or even two years, I would really encourage you to give it a go. Don't give up when it gets hard. Push on through. It will be so worth it. This Christmas, my parents bought me a message study Bible. I'm really hoping to read it through with my children if I can. Why not give it a go? So this new year, as things probably get darker in the world, you are going to need to cling on to Jesus and his word and what he is saying more and more. As the world gets more twisted when it comes to what they say good is bad and bad is good, you need to know what God is saying on a daily basis. And he wants to cause you to be victorious, even when other things are collapsing and shaking around us. So why not be like the Bereans, if you've never done it this way, at the beginning of this year, is to begin as slowly as you want to, read the Bible from beginning to end, just like the Bereans do, studying all the scriptures to see what they are hearing is true. And you have the Holy Spirit inside you who wrote the book. Isn't that amazing? He lives with you and wants to teach you and help.